Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, Boston sports fans everywhere. Episode 10 of Boston's Big Four on the Believe Podcast Network. Home base for all things Boston sports for the fans of the City of Champions. Where, as you know, this sports business is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year passion. You can find the show on Apple, Spotify, and Google. New releases every single Tuesday. If you're looking to interact with the program and our social media, we have all that information up on our website, Believe.com, spelled B-L-E-A-V. As you know by now, I'm your host, Stephen Ace Norman. A lot to get to on the program here today. I want to check in with the Celtics post the trade deadline as they continue on their journey right ahead of the All-Star break that's on the horizon here. And I also want to check in with an updated look at what the Patriots offensive coordinator position may look like and how Bill Belichick will now fill two more voids on the offensive coaching staff that recently moved on to Vegas with Josh McDaniels within the past couple of days. And there are a couple other things that maybe, depending on time, we'll get to, but I don't want to overload you with expectations of something that doesn't happen. So let's just dive right in to your Boston Celtics, who have now won eight straight games and are currently sixth in the Eastern Conference, 33-25, and 25, one game up on the Raptors. Two games back of both the Bucks and the 76ers, and the Celtics have a matchup with the 76ers tonight. No James Harden, so it's not quite as fun as it could have been. He's not yet ready to make his debut with the 76ers as he's getting over a hamstring injury, so that will be for a later date. But the Celtics here, four and a half games back now of the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And since we last spoke last Tuesday, the Celtics racked up three more wins beating the Nets, the Nuggets, and the Hawks, and taking care of business versus the Nets and putting that B squad away without it ever really being a competitive matchup. And it was good. I mean, the Celtics started out the game on a 28-2 run and stepped on the Nets' neck from the very beginning of that game until the very end of that game. And you really saw the team start to play into what they should be doing against lesser opponents, lesser competition. And they've been aided by that on this streak, on these eight games. They haven't beat exactly the world beaters of the NBA, but they've taken care of business in a way that they haven't taken care of business in recent years, playing down to opponents. The Nuggets, a team that's not quite living up to their expectations this year, is still a good team with one of the best centers in the league in Jokic, or at least one of the best centers in the league. And the Hawks are one of those teams that once again have come down to earth from last year and their Eastern Conference Finals run, but it's still a team that can score the basketball. You were playing on the road. It was an early matchup, and I don't want to give any reason for uh, a slow start that the Celtics did have on Sunday versus the Hawks. They, 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 had, they didn't play great in the beginning, but by halftime, they had built up a 10-point lead, and they absolutely smacked the Hawks in the third quarter. 42 to 23, which is another problem that over these years, the Celtics haven't come out of halftime exactly ready to go. So Jason Tatum comes out at half and scores 25 of his 38. And I think now what you're seeing is this team is building up confidence. 
And it might be, you know, against some of the lesser opponents in the league, but they're building up that confidence. And I think you're seeing it grow. They figured out how to close out these games. They've adjusted. They've stuck up uh, the defensive side of their game and have absolutely dug in. They're playing to their potential. So before that trade deadline last Thursday, my approach was this. It was simple. I wasn't ready to call them contenders. I wasn't ready to call them one of the best teams in the East. I think they should be. I think they could be there. I think the talent on the roster is there if they play to their potential and fit into their roles and all the stuff that we've talked at at nauseum for a few years now. But I said, if this was the year that you believed in the team, go make moves that solidify areas that you need solidified. And the trade deadline comes, three moves. Brad makes three deals, sending seven players out, getting two in return. Josh Richardson, Dennis Schroeder, Romeo Langford, and his freedom, which I still feel weird saying, but okay, that's his legal name. Bruno Fernando and Bol Bol, along with P.J. Dolger, two guys that were acquired earlier in the season and never played a game and aren't expected to. Coming back was Derek White from San Antonio, as you know, and Daniel Tice from Houston. And I looked at those moves and I said, I really liked the Derek White move. I thought maybe he was a little redundant with Marcus Smart, very similar players, but I liked the move because I think it's a it's another player who can move the basketball, can play great defense. And what I think you saw here with Brad Stevens' approach at the deadline was he wanted to double down on that defensive identity. And he didn't want to fool around too much with the continuity of the group. Daniel Tice obviously had a stint here with the Celtics, knows this group, knows this core, and understands what his role was going to be on this team. Derek White, although he's never played on an NBA team with Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and Jalen Brown, played in 2019 on the USA basketball team, which was coached by Ime and obviously had all three of Boston's core together playing with them. So, I think that if you look at how the the players that were acquired fit in, there's not going to be a huge learning curve to it. And I think that's what Brad Stevens was looking at. One of the things you always worry about at the deadline when you make big moves is that although those big moves might improve your talent and your ceiling, it also still has to flow and you still have to have that continuity and chemistry And one of the things that I was a little weary about with making a huge move here at the deadline was bringing in a name that, yeah, maybe look really good on paper and may, if you look at what his skills are and his game could improve the Celtics, but you always have to worry a little bit about how it works within the locker room. And for this team, we've seen the chemistry and the way that people complement other people's games be a problem with this team for a long time. Where on paper, it looks great, and you look like you should be one of the best teams in the league, but those guys don't get along, their games don't complement each other, and I think Brad Stevens wanted to stay within a group that at least had some sort of familiarity with each other. The question that always comes after a deadline is, did you get better, right? And how much did you improve by if you did improve? The Celtics were buyers at the deadline. Regardless of the, the, the level of player that you brought in, I think you brought in two solid players. And I say solid with Daniel Tice, a little weary to say so, but okay. 
I'll I'll be beaten into a corner by Celtics beat writers telling me how awesome Daniel Tice is. I'll accept it. Uh, not really, but I'll I'll let it go for now. But I think that you know Derek White and Daniel Tice they fit on this team better than let's say Dennis Schroeder did. I like Josh Richardson. I didn't like trading him. Romeo Langford to me is a throwaway piece. I really don't care much about that. I think that you didn't really fill the areas that I would have liked to see you fill. A true point guard who can facilitate the basketball and is more of a playmaker. I think Derek White has some of that in his game. Comes along with about five assists per game. He had five the other night. He had two in, I believe, his uh, his debut with the Celtics on Friday. So I think there's a little left to be desired in the assist category with Derek White, but he brings terrific defense. He's a guy that at the end of these games, you can see him matching up with multiple different positions and the team's best player on the other side of the floor. So you now have Marcus Smart and him in tandem defending at the end of games. And Derek White can score the basketball uh, 14 and 15 points, respectively, in, in both of his two Uh, games here with the Celtics. So I like what I've seen from him. I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised with how well and how quick he's mixed into the the rotation and how he's at the end of these games closing them out. He's there in in the crunch time of these games playing a huge role. And I like that because if you look at what you get at the deadline, you don't usually get a player that you're playing immediately right at the end of these games in crunch time. So he fits in well. I think a little bit too much was made of the return of Daniel Tice. I heard Brian Scalabrini and Chris Forsberg, both of NBC Sports Boston, say that it was a home run and Scalabrini called it a grand slam. I'm sorry, I have a hard time believing that Daniel Tice in a trade for Dennis Schroeder, who I feel like is a better player, can ever be considered a grand slam. I'm not surprised Schroeder was moved. I think it was probably the right move for Brad Stevens. It's one that I expected because I think there was a disconnect between him and the locker room and him accepting his role, something that this Celtics team definitely doesn't need another player who doesn't fit into the system and doesn't want to play their role. Schroeder's looking to get paid. He's on a $5.6 million deal. He's not going to be re-signed here. His shooting leaves a lot to be desired. So I look at that and I say, I understand that. Did, did I love giving up Richardson? No, because I liked him and I liked his depth at the shooting forward position. And you also had to send away a first round pick for it. But you know what? If that's going to be the return for a player that can play in crunch time, then great. Then great. I, it all comes back to, for me, I wanted to see Brad Stevens and company not worry about the tax threshold and actually improve to this team with players that they felt could come right in and make an impact. Did I agree that maybe Daniel Tice was the missing link? No, I would have liked to see shooting in a point guard. But listen, prove me wrong. They've won two two straight since the deadline. They've been good games and they've had their moments in those games where they've teetered. But you know what? In the end, they've punctuated those games with W's. So who am I to, to say that they weren't the right moves? I like it. Good. They went against my fears, which was they were going to make a move with Dennis Schroeder to get away from that contract, to get away from the tax threshold. And their whole pitch was going to be, we moved away a player that we didn't see here in our future. And we got underneath that tax threshold so we could be players in the free agent market. And we like what this team is. And to me, that would have been a cop out because this team had to do something to instill confidence, not just in this group and the players in that locker room, but also the fans 
that it was saying, yeah, you know what? We do believe in this team. And yeah, we don't think the past three weeks have just been a facade. We really believe that this is how we were supposed to play. And Ime is finally instilling his theories and philosophies in these guys. They're buying in. They've changed their attitudes. They're playing the right basketball. They're accepting their roles. The list goes on and on. And if this deadline came and passed and the Celtics did basically nothing or little to nothing, it would have told me that, yeah, you know what? Upper management isn't completely buying in. And I already have my reservations to buying in for the fact that this team for at least three years now have been a pissy, poor, underachieving group. So good, they proved me wrong and that they actually believe in the team because I think the additions they made were guys that they actually wanted. I believe Daniel Tice, for however I feel about him, is a player that Brad Stevens circled and said, yep, he can help relieve the minutes on Al Horford down the stretch. And if something happens to Rob Williams, that's a position that Daniel Tice can step into. He started on this team. He has the intangibles to mesh with these guys. So good. Okay. Would that have been my move? No. But does it work within how they're looking to add to this team? Yeah, it does. Obviously. Derek White is a player that, from what I've read from Steve Bullpett, that's a guy that they targeted and they wanted. And they went after and they got him. Did they pay a pretty good price for him? Yeah. Jason Richardson, I think, or excuse me, Josh Richardson, I always do that, has been playing good basketball here in the second half of the season. I think Langford's a throw-in pick, but he is, if you look at him, a 14th overall pick, a lottery pick. And they also included a, a 22 first round protected pick. One through four. So it's not like the Celtics gave up nothing in that deal to bring in Derek White. So I like that. I like that they're aggressive. I like that they they bought into their team. And they should be at this point. Because the Celtics is a team that I look at and say, this is their window. I know some will say that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are young. And Marcus Smart is just coming into his prime. BS. BS. They started at a young age. They had the playoff experience. They've had plenty of time to evolve into these roles of being leaders on a team. They've seen what works and what obviously doesn't work, and they're either going to get it or not. Not everyone just gets it with age, okay? You have to have the right personality. You have to have the right mentality, and nothing from what I've seen from these guys points out that they actually have those characteristics. So now I'm finally seeing it, and that's, that's a step that we needed to see from this team. They're not being selfish right now. They're not playing my turn, my turn, hero basketball and trying to throw on the cape when things get tough. And what we've seen from this starting five is finally a unit that seems to be clicking together. I don't know what it was. I know Jason Tatum has talked about the beginning of the year was feeling out a new group and then injuries and COVID and a new coach with a new system. And I think there is some legitimacy to that, but the fact that you're hearing it from a guy who's always made excuses and from a group that has always had a finger to point at someone except themselves has been a reason to doubt that and not really believe in that was the problem. Which is, by the way, I feel completely fair given how they've treated the past few seasons and how when adversity hits, they run the other way and find the first person to blame that they can or the guy next to them, whoever's in their locker room, except themselves. They, they always have been handling it the right way, and there's always the outside noise is the problem, or this guy's the problem, or there's not enough this, there's not enough that. No more excuses. And this year, I think they finally felt that even more 
from the outside. And maybe that's what's clicked. Maybe it's the us versus the world mentality that's finally kicked in. Maybe it's Marcus Smart finally accepting his role and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown saying, okay, good. Now that we can see that other people are doing their jobs, we can go back to doing what our job is and not try to do too much or get too into our own feelings on the floor and try to take it over because I'm going to show you. Whatever the reasons are, and we can discuss and debate those, it has been more enjoyable to watch this group and watch the way they play late in games and watch the way that when a team has a little run, how the Celtics respond and ultimately have put away teams. And I don't think that you know it's been a, a complete roundhouse to the top of the NBA competition, but I think that what they've done is still important because they hadn't been doing it. And I can't harp on that enough. They haven't been that team that's able to just put away lesser competition. They haven't been that team that has the killer instinct in a game to never let up, to never let off, and to always fight through. And, oh, okay, we'll, we'll finish this out. We'll figure it out because, oh, yeah, we're that good. This is a group that's acted like they've accomplished things that they hadn't. I mean, going to the Eastern Conference Finals, I can't say this enough. Going to that Eastern Conference Finals versus LeBron James and forcing a Game 7 was the worst thing for Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart. It gave them an inflated perspective on just how good they were at such a young age and how easy it can be to win in the NBA and go deep in the playoffs and push an all-time great at such a young age for their squad. And it would have been one thing if they were smacking them out the next season and they said, oh, wait a minute, you know what? We had an inflated belief in what we actually were and how easy it was. You know what? We have to get back to the basics. We have to get back to working together. And you know what? I know we have great games, but there's still a lot to be learned. It didn't happen like that. They've been given excuses built in by the organization, whether it be Danny Ainge when he was here or Brad Stevens while he was coaching that, you know what? No, guys, it's not you. Don't worry about it. We're going to trade off, move off, everything else. It's not you guys. When in reality, yeah, you know what? The leadership, that starts at the top. When a team's not playing well, that starts at the top. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been at the top for a while. This is their fifth and sixth seasons in the NBA. They've played together for five years now. So I push back against the thought that anyone would be saying they just haven't reached that point in their career. That's BS. That's an excuse. And you're giving them an out. Because in reality, they've played together long enough, they've had enough experience, they've been in their roles here as leaders in number one and number two on their team for several years now. So there's no excuse. You should be winning at this rate. You should be one of the better teams in the East right now. You should be a legitimate contender at this point. This is why it's so frustrating to hear, oh, wow, look at how great the Celtics are playing. Well, they, they could go on a run. Maybe. Are they legitimate contenders? They should be. They should be at this point. I mean, that, that to me is a ridiculous thought that they haven't gotten to that point in their career yet where these are the expectations. No, it should be. And it was important that the team also felt this way, meaning Brad Stevens and company, because I think it would have been a huge mistake to look at this roster here and what they've done over a short period of time. And I realize it's short and I realize you could be falling for the banana in the tailpipe. Believe me, I'm not really 100% on board with this team right now, but I'm getting there. I'm getting close to being there. And it's because you haven't seen a stretch of games where they've really played this way in years. I don't know if they ever have. So it's encouraging. 
And on the flip side of that, you look at it and say, well, if the team didn't believe in them and they felt that and they noticed that, that the team didn't feel like adding to this year's group with the way that they're playing is worth it. It's only a matter of time before Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum want out. And that's the worst case scenario. It's one thing I believe to move off of Jalen Brown and get a big asset in return. It's another thing to have Jason Tatum walk out that door because it's not exactly easy to recruit top end players to come here and play in Boston. I know everyone likes to talk about Celtic pride and the history of the organization, but I got news for you. With a younger generation comes a different thought process. And that aura of playing at the Boston Garden and playing for Lucky the Leprechaun and all the greats that have been here, Bill Russell, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, I mean, go on down the list. That's not going to resonate with these guys as much anymore. You know, it does for the people who live around here and who have been Celtics fans since day one because that's the history of their team. It's another thing for young kids who grow up in other areas to come in here to Boston and say, wow, I can't believe I'm playing here in Boston. No, that other stuff that maybe shouldn't be as important, that self-branding and location and marketing and all that stuff, that's what's important to these guys. And the only way you truly make them happy where they are is by winning and showing a dedication to helping them. And I, I know it sounds crazy because I'm advocating to believe in a team that I don't completely believe in and believe in a group and a core that you don't completely believe in. But there's a point where I think you have to go in that direction with these guys because in lesser rather than more time, they're going to be ready to move on and you at least have to swing to hit the ball. And I think at least the Celtics made a small addition here that can keep these guys happy and also flows within the team. Another thing that factors in to this feeling of mine and and the reason why I like how they handled this deadline ultimately, and I'm not going to say it's a home run or a grand slam. I think they made a couple of nice smaller moves. I don't know how much better it makes them on paper. I think that any anything this team does is going to be catalyst by Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and really other guys just filling their roles and stepping up. Because at the end of the day, the NBA is about your two best players. And in the Celtics case, that's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, without a doubt. So this team's only going to go as far as they take them. That's not to downplay what the other guys have to do, but that's the reality of the situation. If those guys aren't playing on the level that they're capable of, this team's not making a run. So it ultimately still falls on their shoulders, which is why it's worth watching them more than any Derek White or Daniel Tice edition, because it really comes down to your best players. But I look at the the landscape of the Eastern Conference right now, and you say, well, is it? Is it really unfathomable to think that this team could go on a run? I mean, the East isn't exactly a juggernaut right now. You look around and you say the Bucks are a good team. I still put them ahead of the Celtics in a seven-game series. But it would be crazy for the Celtics to upset them? No, I don't think out of the realm of possibility. And I think, once again, Miami is another team ahead of you. And at full strength and full health, that's a team that's better than you. Does it mean you can't push them? Does it mean you can't make it a competitive series and crazier things have happened? So those are the two teams right now ahead of the Celtics. And prior to the deadline, I thought the Celtics were better than the 76ers. I now slightly feel different about that. And I thought that the Nets 
were better than the Celtics if the Nets were healthy, which is a big if. De- Kevin Durant's been out, James Harden, a nagging hamstring, Kyrie's only able to play in half of the games, and he's usually more of a problem than he is an answer, or at least he has been for that Nets team. But now I, I say probably the 76ers with a healthy Harden and Embiid, the way that he's playing this season, are probably ahead of you. But I don't write the Celtics off in series like that if they're playing like this. So the Eastern Conference, I mean, they should be better than Chicago. They should be better than Toronto, than the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I'm not saying that they would be runaway favorites in any of those series. I'm not saying that I couldn't see other teams that I just mentioned beating the Celtics. No, I, I don't write that off at all. Because those teams have gotten better and have played good for a larger part of the season than the Celtics. I'm just telling you on paper, talent-wise, and the way that they're currently playing, the Celtics match up against anyone in the East. And although they may not be favorites, they should be a top four team in the East. And currently sixth. And they should be able to potentially move up from there. I mean, they should be able to. They're in striking distance. They keep playing like this. I think that the chips may fall in their favor and then moving up. Aside from the players that were brought in and the players that were traded, it was refreshing to see a president of basketball operations willingness to move off of players that he signed in the offseason and draft picks, which if we look at the track record, haven't exactly been home run picks. Brad Stevens made it clear to the NBA and other executives around the NBA that he was not Trader Danny. He was not Danny Ainge. He wasn't going to try to rob you blind and in the meantime tell you why it is a great decision for you. He wasn't going to absolutely bludgeon you to make a trade, understanding that there are two sides to a trade and the best ones are when both sides are happy. That's how they get worked out and done. And I think so many of these teams were reluctant to work with Danny Ainge, knowing his track record, knowing his history, knowing how he went about these trade deadlines and these trades overall and the fact that he had to win it without any doubt in anyone's mind. It didn't have to be advantageous for both. It was better if it was only going to work in his favor and what he was sending out was a bag of crap. I mean, that's really reality. That's what it was. And GMs didn't want to work with that. And Brad Stevens, in a very short amount of time since taking over the position, have I agreed with all of his signings or all of his trades? No. Although I would say probably some of his trades more so than, you know, other things, other GMs. But I'll tell you this, I like the fact that he's not too stubborn to have to stick with the same guys because he was the one that brought them in. Richardson, free agent signing, gone. Ennis Freedom, gone. Dennis Schroeder, best contract in basketball, some said. $5.6 million was going to play a huge role. Didn't fit in. He wasn't too stubborn. Brad Stevens traded him away. And in addition to that, in the short amount of time, he's traded away two first round picks and a lottery pick, former lottery pick in Romeo Langford. So do I love trading away first round picks to get out of bad situations? No, but I do like his willingness to make these moves because Ainge's reputation, he wouldn't have done that. And other GMs probably wouldn't have taken his call seriously. There was a report from Keith Smith who works with Spotrack and Celtics Blog and uh, Front Office Show. He does basically a basketball show that said rival teams seem to enjoy talking trades with Brad Stevens. One exec said 
He's not trying to get blood from a stone and squeeze for one more thing like Danny Ainge did. Another told me, another source, I'm, I'm assuming is what he meant to type there. It's less like you're giving up rights to your firstborn. And that's how people perceived dealing with Danny Ainge. And I think it's important that they now know that Brad Stevens is not going to treat every trade like that. So I do give Brad a check in that department, being willing to be send it Brad instead of uh, savor it Stevens. All right, I'll give you a quick update on the offensive coordinator situation or the brain drain for the New England Patriots as the upheaval of the offensive coaching staff continued over the weekend as two more names have been added to the list. Carmen Brasillo, the offensive line coach here last season for the Patriots, and Mick Lombardi have now been added to that list. Mick Lombardi taking the offensive coordinator job in Vegas. Carmen Brasillo going to coach the offensive line, a parallel move for him in Vegas. So once again, keep you up on those names. The Patriots have lost since their last Super Bowl. Dante Scarnecchia, Ernie Adams, Nick Casario, Brian Flores, Joe Judge, and unfortunately that boob is back. Jerry Shaplinski, Chad O'Shea, Patrick Graham, Monty Austinfort, cornerbacks coach Josh Boyer, Brendan Daly, Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, Bo Hardegree, uh, and now Carmen Brasillo and Mick Lombardi. Ivan Fears, most likely looking to retire. Look, for all of those guys, it's not who they are. It's the fact that they lost them, and now who and how will Bill fill those voids? Because for me, that's what scares me the most. It's not even all the names that have left because they're not all great, although there are a lot of good names on that list I just rattled off. It's how does Bill fill those voids? Because Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, that's not encouraging. You know, look, I know Bill is the one that makes it all go. Okay, but great coaching, elite coaching is more than one guy having the brain that Bill Belichick has and all the knowledge in the world. I mean, Bill can't be the guru for the defense and take over the offense and, oh, by the way, coach the special teams because that unit sucks. He can't do it all. And if you look at not just on the coaching staff, you go up to the front office side of things. Dave Ziegler was a huge part of that quote-unquote collaborative approach and revamp of the, the roster that the Patriots had last year. So look, I expected Bill to have a plan in place. Okay, and I didn't think that it was going to be Joe Judge who just fell off the poultry truck. Okay, I I thought it would be something to fill Josh McDaniels. It felt like Bill was pushing for Josh to get a job and maybe had a little bit of a conversation with him that said, hey, Josh, you know, how are you feeling? Oh, you know what? If the right situation comes, this is going to be the year. So I expected Bill to have a plan in place. I didn't expect him to just be hiring the three B's, the Bill Belichick buddy list, I mean, I expected there to be something else there. I mean, this coaching staff has gotten worse through attrition and there hasn't been filled. And while coaches are at the senior bowl and are, are working with players and also talking to coaches and, and, and networking, Bill was nowhere to be found. The Patriots, unlike the past, they don't have any names in-house that they can just elevate. They don't have that experience on their staff. Nick Cayley? The tight ends coach, that's a name that, you know, we're going to hear, but I don't know that he's ready for that yet. Yesterday, I'm listening to uh, a local station here in Boston, and the producer of that show was the Felgrim Maz show, uh, Jimmy Stewart, 
throughout the, the fact that Adam Gase was at a lot of Patriots practices and that he believes that Gase will be the next offensive coordinator. Phil Perry followed up with this. From people that I've spoken to around the league, it's almost unfathomable that Joe Judge would be running the offense. And he also said that there is still a chance of Bill O'Brien or Adam Gase coming in time. There's still time and they're not ruling out one more experienced coordinator. I never thought in a million years that I would be rooting and hoping for Adam Gase. Okay, and maybe I'm not rooting for Adam Gase, the coordinator or the coach. I'm just rooting against the alternatives. I want someone in charge that's done the job before. Gase would probably get that title. He would lead the offense. He hadn't been here, but Greg Schiano hadn't been here, and they gave him the D.C. title before he decided to, to leave town, before even coaching one day. So, you know, maybe Bill will help Gase get back into the NFL circle. He has a better chance, a higher position in the NFL uh, to extend that for the rest of his career. You know, if you look back to his last two stints there with the Dolphins and with the Jets, they were debacle. So Bill can bring him in. Adam can kind of play a role in bringing along Mac Jones. He has developed quarterbacks, not exactly the way that some would like him to have done, but but at least it's something. He's done the job before. And learning under Bill Belichick and being in a winning organization is something that I think would be appealing to Adam Gase. Listen, I don't think he's the best play caller in the world. I don't think he's the best developer of talent in the world. But at least he has credibility when it comes to calling plays. He's not great, but he's qualified. He's done the job before. And I haven't seen that from Joe Judge. He's never coached the quarterbacks. He's never ran the offense. Never done it. He worked with wide receivers here in New England. So that guy inspires no confidence for me. And I don't want that to be the case. Now, if I had my druthers... I'd have Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator, Nick Cayley working with the quarterbacks and also kind of learning under Bill O'Brien and Joe Judge on special teams. I just think that Bill O'Brien would have made that transition a lot easier. He's a smart guy, speaks the language and has a familiarity with the the team and the understanding of what this offense could look like with two tight ends. I, I, I think there are more reasons than I could even list off that Bill O'Brien would have been best suited for this position. I just wonder, what is Bill's plan? He's losing coaches. They just feel like they're falling off. And the only people that he hires or promotes are either friends of his kids or his kids or buddies from you know past coaching lives. I mean, it's like, Bill, what are you doing here? Joe Judge should not be running the offense. I hope to God he's not. I hope the reports from Jeff Howe and Burt Breer and now Phil Perry that it doesn't seem like all the coaching hires are done for the offensive side of the ball. I hope to God they're not. I mean, I can't state that strongly enough because Joe Judge working with Mac Jones, the most important piece of the Patriots franchise for not just next year, but the coming years, I don't want that left in charge to a guy who has not done it, who has not ran a team properly, who doesn't seem to be exactly a personality fit. That's not who I'm leaving it up to. Now, I read again that little passage from Phil Perry from the people that I've spoken to around the league. It's almost unfathomable that Joe Judge would be running the offense. The only thing I would say to that in my only, I guess, little dark thought about that is the fact that I think people around the league, yeah, no one around the league would think that 
Joe Judge would be running the offense. I would hope to God that he's not. He wouldn't get an offensive coordinating job anywhere else in the entire league. But I don't know. Bill is the ultimate contrarian. Oh, yeah, you don't think I can do that? I'll show you. Yeah, Joe can do this. I believe in Joe. Why? He's a buddy and he's cheap. And that's really why I look at Bill Belichick and I say, how are you really going to address the coaching staff? How are you going to do it? Because it can't just be with your friends. It can't just be from bringing up people who will shake their head like a bobblehead. Yes, 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 Bill. You need to infuse it with some talent, some experienced coaching talent. And it doesn't have to be just the people who have been here in the past and infuse it back with that Patriot way. I mean, I think it helps to a certain extent, but it's also not so bad to shake it up and bring someone else from outside in that maybe brings some new ideas and philosophies. Only if Bill's going to listen to him, though. So I don't know. That's something that we're going to have to wait and see. We'll be covering it here as it breaks. I figured it was worth at least an update there. I, I, I really hope that it doesn't stand pat right here. I, I really hope so. They need some talent on this coaching staff. And there you have it, episode 10 of Boston's Big Four in the books. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as I do every week. If you did and you want to hear more, please subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Or just do all three of them. Check all three boxes off. Trust me, you'll feel better about yourself once you do that. New episodes coming every single Tuesday. And be sure to follow the show on all of our social medias. We have an Instagram, a Facebook, and an email. As always, thank you for loaning me your attention. I know it's valuable. Until next week, Boston, be well, be healthy, be real. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.